Uh, can I, Caleb, can I get this stuff up here? Thanks. Didn't Tori do well this morning? So if, do you reckon there's a budding preacher there? So you will hear her later this year, preaching, so look forward to that. Thanks, Caleb. Um, who can remember what series I'm preaching on through this year? Who was first on that? Good catch. Okay, so uh, this morning we're going to continue on the series on, on the kingdom of God. And if you remember last time I was speaking, we were talking from the Genesis chapter 1. And we, we identified that uh, to understand the nature of a kingdom, you need to understand the nature of the, of a, of the king. What do I need to do, Bradley? Just keep talking? Oh, I can do that. <laughs> so, so we need to understand the nature of the king. And we, we discovered in the very start of Genesis that there are some characteristics of the king of the kingdom. And the first of all, that we have a sovereign king. That, that the God of the universe is so much bigger and greater than anything that we understand. I use the analogy of if, if you imagine that God was at this auditorium, which of course is a, a useless analogy because God is limitless and he'd just keep going on and on and on, but it's a bit hard for our minds to understand that in relation. But if you imagine that God is the auditorium, then this glass would represent all of creation from uh, beginning to end and all um, right out through the universe and everything. And you know, God is just so big and sovereign in fact, since that last talk, I read the book of Job, and I found that uh, you know, in, in chapter 1 of Job, you discover that the devil goes up to God, and, and God says, look at my servant Job, isn't he fantastic? He's doing such a great job, and uh, job, Job, anyway, the, and the devil says, well, what do you expect? You're looking after him. He's, of course he's going to be doing, uh, praising you and everything and that, and so... Yeah. Long story short, God gives the devil permission to, to attack Job, just not to take his life, and then Job goes through an incredible period of suffering. Now, the interesting thing is there's no indication that Job knew what happened in chapter 1. He had no idea what had actually gone on in heaven. The author recorded it, and I'm not sure how the author knew that, but, the, but Job, uh, there's no indication that he knew. Then he goes through all this long period of, of suffering and pain and, and his, his so-called friends come along and tell him, Job, you're hopeless, you've done something wrong that's caused you all this, why don't you just confess your sins and get over and die? You know, really encouraging friends. And, um, and Job spends that time saying, well, no, you know, I, I am just, I've been serving God faithfully, there's, there's no reason for this, in fact, what I want, I want a meeting with God just to put my case before him and say, what's going on here? I've served you faithfully and yet all this disaster has gone on. And he wants an audience, a meeting with, with God to actually present his case. And then you see in the last couple of chapters that he has a God encounter. And God just goes through this process of giving Job just a glimpse of how big and how sovereign and majestic and fantastic and unequaled God is. And all Job can do is go, flip, I'm sorry, God. 
you are who you are, and I am who I am, and I'm just going to keep praising you regardless. And then he, he had restoration, and, and that, but it, it's just, you know, one of, the, one of the characteristics of the kingdom is that God is sovereign. And then we also discovered that the king is a creator king, and we also discovered that God is a conquering king, that he conquers darkness, and he conquers formlessness, and he conquers emptiness. And that's what we discovered in the very first part of the chapter. And this morning, I'm going to want to continue with uh, going through the end part of chapter 1. In fact, when I, when I started to look at doing this series, I thought, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do this and this and this. I'm not even sure if I'll get out of Genesis before the end of the year. As I've gone through, it's just such good stuff that learning it. And um, uh, Denise was sharing one of her soaps with me last night. And she is, she'd done a soap on the Romans 16, the last chapter in, in Romans. And she was, uh, just the very last verses there, it talks about that the stuff, uh, that the stuff around the kingdom was hidden. It was hidden. You know, the Jewish people, they... Jesus came preaching the kingdom, right? And he said things quite readily, like the kingdom of God is within you. But before then, the actual understanding of the kingdom was hidden from the foundations. It was kept secret. And it's as Christ came and opened things up for us that you and I get to be able to understand what the kingdom is. And so this morning we're going to carry on with Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Then God said, let, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So I started off this morning saying that, you know, to understand the nature of the kingdom, we need to understand the nature of the king. So, so and we've done some foundational stuff there, and as we go through the series, we'll learn more and more about the nature of the king. But we also, it's helpful to actually understand the nature of the subjects of the kingdom. And that's what we're looking at this morning. You know, mankind is different to all the rest of creation. Mankind is created in the image and likeness of the king. Nothing else on earth can actually make this claim. Understanding what it means to be an image bearer of God is essential to understanding how we are meant to operate in the kingdom. As I said, nothing else that God creates fits in the category of being a God image bearer. The angels don't. Animals don't. Only mankind does. And this has some incredible application for you and for me. 
Now, when you look at the use of the text in, in, this, in the first chapter of Genesis, you discover that for all the other aspects where, first of all, God had overcome darkness and he had overcome formless, and now he was overcoming emptiness by filling these spaces, and in the other aspects, there's a calling out. So it, basically, you can translate the original text literally as God says to the earth, animals, come out of the earth. And God says to the sea, fish, come out of the sea. And he, God says, birds, come out of the sky. And that's literally how the, the text is translated. But when you get to God making man, there is a shift in the nature of the text. God says, let us make. It is like there is suddenly a lot more attention to detail. There is a deliberate intention by the Creator. And for the animals, God has said, just come out of the earth. But here it's like God, although man is made from the dust of the earth, it's like he's got, got there and he's got his hands and he's molded man. Put some real attention to detail into that. And while making man, God chooses to reveal an aspect of his nature, that God is in relationship. He says, let us, and this is the first indication that God is actually a trinity, a triune being. He says, let us, indicating that God is in relationship. And the author is providing a clear difference in the focus of this step in creation and indicating that as God is in relationship and giving focus and attention and making man, he's designing man to be in relationship as well. Relationship with the creator. And nothing else of all creation has been made in God's image and likeness. Therefore, there is a clear difference between man and the rest of creation. And this means you cannot continue to grow as a Christian and believe in evolution. Now, man did not come from animals. Mankind is unique. And this is really important to understand. Because you won't really appreciate how valuable you are to God if you don't believe that he gave you special attention in your making. Being made in the image of God is the basis of our worth. You know, our worth isn't based on our possessions, it isn't based on our friends. It isn't based on what we do. We are of immense worth to God because he made us in his image. We are his image bearers. And even when we mess up, God values us so much that he'll do anything to get us back. And in God's kingdom being made image bearers of the king means that there is an equality in his kingdom. Now, uh, uh, male, female, rich or poor, whatever the ethnicity, we are all included in this step of creation, being made as image bearers. We all have equal value in the kingdom. Listen to what uh, Paul wrote in Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. In God's kingdom, we are all equal. We are all of immense value. God made mankind in his image as male and female, it says in the scripture. 
in his kingdom, there is true equality of the sexes. And when we look at Jesus' ministry, he treated women just as he treated men. He elevated the value of women. Now, there are some Christians who believe that because Eve was deceived and, and, uh, by the devil, and by then taking a few verses out of context in the New Testament, that man is superior to woman, particularly in a husband-wife relationship. Men, if you think that, then understand this isn't kingdom living. You're living less. Now, we might have different functions as image bearers, but we're all the same value. All nations, people groups, and ethnicities come from Adam. All are image bearers of God. There is no place for racism in God's kingdom. Every person has value. In fact, if you go into Revelation, you find that the nations, the ethnicities, still exist. In heaven, all the diversity that we have discovered on this planet hasn't been taken away. We all have value. Our status doesn't change our value. You know, we can be someone who cleans toilets. We can be a teacher. We can be a tradesperson. We can be a doctor or a lawyer. We can be a pastor. We can be anything like that. But it doesn't influence our value to God. We're all valuable. And we're valuable because he created us. He designed us. You are an image bearer of the king. Why don't you say to someone around you, you are an image bearer of the king. Then perhaps say to the person somewhere else beside you, you're a work in progress. (laughs) And you know, because of this incredible value God places on humanity, then human life is sacred. Human life is to be valued and protected. Look at what God said to Cain. Even though he was a murderer and God had sent him out and he was worried that people would try to kill him, God said to him, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. It is because we are created in God's image that we believe in the sanctity of life. That is why murder is wrong. It is why abortion and euthanasia is wrong. Human life should be protected, friends. And there's an indication in Scripture that it is okay to take a life to protect the innocent and the helpless. But the overriding principle of the kingdom is to protect human life. Because everyone from the unborn to the elderly to the sick and the infirm are incredibly valuable to God. And Genesis, uh, uh, that Genesis 9, 6 verse indicates that there is even a curse on those who take a human life. There is a reaping of what has been sown, just as any sin will open the door for damage to our lives. And the Bible also teaches that not only shouldn't we take a life, but as a citizen of his kingdom, we shouldn't curse another human. We are valuable to God, friends. Everyone we meet matters. God's kingdom values people. It doesn't tear them down. Look at what the Bible says about speaking life to people. James said this, with the tongue we praise God, uh, praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. 
out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Now, again, we're created in God's image. All mankind is. And although this image has been marred because of the fall, we all still carry it. And I don't know about you, but it can be really easy to curse people sometimes with what we say. Now, when we say to people, you're no good or you're hopeless, we're actually cursing them. And the, this is, then why we shouldn't do it, or, sorry, we are powerful, especially when it comes to what we say. Proverbs 18:21, one of my favorite verses, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. We're powerful in what we say. However, the good news is that no matter what we have done, no matter what foothold we've given the enemy to harm us, no matter what curse has been spoken over us, Jesus is able to redeem and break any curse and bring freedom to anyone who asks. Whatever we have done during our life, whatever has happened, Jesus is wooing us to receive his healing, forgiveness, and freedom. Is that good news? And if we flip this around to the positive, which is how we're supposed to live in the kingdom, there's a language of the kingdom that we should use as our default. It comes by speaking in the power of the Spirit and will always be encouraging. It will always be looking for the gold in people. Uh, Paul said this, But everyone who prophesies, which is speaking in the power of the Spirit, everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Friends, that's kingdom living. So we're made in God's image and have incredible value because of this. And yes, the God-likeness was marred at the fall, but it is still there. Some may think that we actually lost our God-likeness at the fall. Just because mankind fell through sin doesn't mean to say that we've lost that image and likeness of God. And Paul confirms this when he said in Corinthians, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. And, when we're, and there's lots of verses in the Bible like that. And when we're willing to come back into submission to Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit and become an ambassador of the kingdom, our God-likeness continues to grow and improve. God keeps fixing the damage. Isn't that good? Our sanctification process that takes place through living for Jesus means our God-likeness grows. Just have a look at these verses. When we've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator, becoming aware of who we are in Christ and who Christ is. And again, they're putting on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And in Corinthians, we, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You're more like Jesus today than you were yesterday. And you know, this improvement will continue until we leave this planet, either through passing away or Jesus coming back. And uh, Jesus said in Matthew, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And in Revelation it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And when Jesus finally returns, our restoration of God-likeness will be complete. And this is part of our hope for the future, friends. Paul said in Corinthians, 
As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. When we leave this planet, if we're in Christ, we are of heaven. Just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. We will bear the likeness of Jesus when we're in heaven. I'm not sure if you're quite getting that yet. Uh, the Apostle John said, Dear friends, now we're children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. So our, our limited minds here, we can't quite conceive what we will be like. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's a final transformation that takes place. And I don't know if you've ever thought about what this means when we are in eternity and what this means for our intrinsic value as humans. People are the only things designed to survive this creation. Have you thought about that? Human beings are the only things designed to survive this creation. Heaven and earth will pass away. Although we are part of this creation, God valued us so much, he designed us for something so much greater than this creation. When God made Adam, he was given rulership over the earth and was given the boundary of time and space. In the new heaven and earth, our boundary is limitless. And it's impossible for us to understand just how significant our relationship with the Almighty King will be when we're in heaven. But the Bible tries to give us hints by using language that we understand and, and brings reference to here. Now, Jesus called us friends. We're called sons and daughters of God. We're called co-heirs with Christ. Doesn't this type of wording give you a feeling of significance when we're in heaven? The Bible indicates that we'll be in complete relationship with God and also that we will have things to rule over. It will be an incredible adventure. And it talks about um, us being kings and royalty in heaven and, and there's even indication that we'll be ruling over cities. Whatever they are in heaven, I don't know. But it just gives us the concept that there's things for us to do. You know, I think we will love worshipping God. We will love spending time in the... Uh, God's throne room, worshiping him and praising him and uh, however that takes and we can spend an eternity doing that because there's no time in heaven by the way so eternity is a little bit of a non-reference but we'll also be out and we'll be doing things seeing things, changing things, making things as the Bible says in Corinthians as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now Jesus values us that much, he's willing to die for us. He sees our potential and our future. He sees us spending time right from now through into eternity with him. And there are many ways that we carry God's image. And from what we've learned about God so far, we can see that there are similarities between us and God. Now, we discovered God is the sovereign king. And as I already mentioned, God is bigger than time and space. And no one can say to God, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? God is sovereign. And in his image, we have been given the sovereignty of free will, of making choices. 
course, that led to our downfall by choosing to be in charge of our own destiny rather than partnering with God and keeping him as our leader. And free will is also the freedom we have today to make good or bad choices. God isn't going to control our choice-making. We have freedom to make choices. And even today, you're free to choose God's way or your own way in every situation and circumstance. So there's a similarity between humans and God in the sense that we have been given the sovereignty of our own free will. And then we discover that God is a creator king. He created the heavens and the earth, and God made us creative. We read in the second uh, chapter of Genesis that God brought all the animals in front of Adam, and he named them all, and whatever he named them, that became their nature. So that gave Adam a freedom to be creative with how he named animals, just to determine their nature. And there's a lot of different types of animals out there, so I'm sure he had fun coming up with all these different names and determining their nature. And we're all creative. You might not think you are, but you are. Maybe you just haven't discovered the way that you're creative yet. Because we're all creative in different ways. And God expects creativity in his kingdom. Now, the original plan was was for mankind to extend the Garden of Eden as, as man multiplied and grew and to actually bring God's kingdom right throughout the planet. And in heaven, there is no limitation. I believe we'll get to start and use our creativity in heaven in new ways and create new things and seeing new vistas. And that, that's, It doesn't specifically say that in Scripture. That's my imagination of what heaven might be, might be like. But I like the idea of being able to go and say, oh, there's an open space. I wonder what we could do with that in heaven, come up with something new. And even now, God's kingdom advances through creative solutions. And... You know, I'm always encouraged in the Bible that as you read it through and there's just problem after problem after problem, especially with the nation of Israel, and God never repeated himself. He always came up with new ways of solving problems. And it wouldn't be surprising to me if we encounter, you or I encounter the same problem and you have your own creative way that comes down from heaven and solving that problem, and I have my creative way of solving that problem that also comes from heaven. God just made us creative. We also learned that God is a conquering king. As God overcame darkness, formlessness, and emptiness in the Bible, God also gives us the ability to be overcomers, and you read that in Revelation, where especially when he's talking to the seven churches at the start of Revelation, that he calls us all to be overcomers. And we too have a mission on this planet as we extend God's kingdom to overcome darkness and dark situations, releasing hope and releasing light and truth into situations. And we're called to overcome formlessness and bringing order and systems and structure out of chaos. And we're called to overcome emptiness, releasing life and being fruitful and abundant in what we do. Now we are rulers in the kingdom. And God said, let man rule, let them rule. God gave man authority in the kingdom. We were made to rule. It was actually our responsibility to see God's kingdom grow here on earth. God gave the responsibility to mankind. And unfortunately, this authority has been damaged because of the sin in the world. 
when Jesus returns, we will be fully restored once again. In the meantime, there is a process of us learning to take back what was stolen. I, I did my apprenticeship at the railway workshops in Addington, and there was a weekly Christian prayer meeting. This was a few years ago now. And um, at the prayer meeting, there's, there's a, a lovely older chap, uh, a lovely Christian guy who would come along. But I used to get that frustrated with his praying. He, everything he prayed, he'd say, God, if it's your will, can you do this? God, if it's your will, can you do that? And as, uh, even back then, I was thinking, you don't get it. God has designed us for authority. You know, in some ways this type of prayer sounds good on the surface, but it actually is saying, I don't really have faith that you want to do this stuff. It shows a lack of understanding about God's kingdom. You know, absolutely we need to be submitted to Jesus. But as we continue to build a relationship with the king and start to understand how the kingdom works, we don't need to ask if something is God's will. You know, if you had someone, uh, you're sitting down, you, you go to it, let's, let's create a really nice imaginary situation, which I hope everyone does this afternoon. You go out to a cafe for, for lunch, and the place is full, but there's a seat remaining at a table with some other people there. So you, think, you go up to them, oh, do you mind if I just have the seat? So you sit there, you start chatting with them, and... Uh, the Spirit of God just opens up the conversation so you start sharing your faith and you get to the point where the, you say, hey, would you like to actually start a relationship with Jesus? And they say, yes, please. And so do you then say, God, if it's your will, can I lead this person to Jesus? That's a little bit what it's like sometimes. You would just say, let's pray together, wouldn't you? And so often, we actually know what the principle of God and his kingdom is. And when it comes to praying for sickness, you know, I know this is complex around sickness, and there is a battle that we are in as, as the body of Christ to, to see us becoming more and more overcoming in the area of sickness. But we don't need to say, God, is this your will to heal this person? That's not kingdom authority, friends. And there's so many things that as we start to grow in our knowledge of who the king is, we're actually able to start working more in faith and taking authority and seeing God's kingdom grow. Is that good news? Now this is why when we become Christians, God fills us and empowers us with his Holy Spirit. That way we have the ability to act out of the authority entrusted to us. Jesus reminded of this in Matthew 28 when he said, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now the word go there, which has been said many times, is an active word, not a passive word. Jesus has been given all authority and so he's empowering us to go and extend his kingdom. 
We carry the responsibility and the authority to act out of God's image and release his kingdom around us, coming under Jesus' Jesus's leadership and doing it in the strength of the Holy Spirit. It means as a church, we have the answers the world needs. We carry the authority to make the difference because we are in Christ. There's one time in the Gospels that Jesus was astonished. You know, Jesus used to astonish people, didn't he? So if you think Jesus was astonished, that's something that we should take close attention to. And this, uh, this happened in Matthew 8, 5 to 10. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed, for my, I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished, and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus was astonished because out of all the people in Israel at the time, all the Jews who had been brought up on scripture, this one man understood a fundamental principle of the kingdom of God. We have authority because we're under authority. Jesus says, go. Jesus says, go. And when we've put ourselves back in submission to the king, going through the forgiveness of Jesus, then we can walk in authority of the kingdom. You know, and this is why just saying, asking Jesus for forgiveness when we want to become a Christian is only half the story. We actually need to choose to submit to the king. Then our salvation is complete. Jesus becomes our saviour and Lord, our forgiver and our leader. Evidence of salvation is repentance, which is the correct response to Jesus' lordship. Now, the world needs us to step into the authority that we are designed to walk in as the church. Between the fall and the return of Christ, there is a fight that we're part of. And remember that there are two kingdoms operating on this planet, God's kingdom or the devil's kingdom. Jesus came to defeat the work of the devil, and we're called to carry on this mission, friends. The mode of operation of the devil's kingdom is loss, death, and destruction. And we're called to fight against this. We have been given authority to fight against it. We have been empowered to fight against it. The mode of operation of God's kingdom is, is to bring light into darkness, to bring order from chaos and life into empty places. We are all operating either out of the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. Even as Christians, we can slip into the wrong camp at times, unfortunately. But... Because we've been given the sovereignty of choice, we get to choose whose kingdom we operate from. We have, when we are trying to do things out of our own strength or out of our best ideas, then in reality we're no better to Eve, taking from the knowledge of good and evil. She wanted to be in charge. And when we do this, we're operating out of the kingdom of darkness. However, the opposite is also true, friends. When we're operating submitted to Jesus, drawing solutions from heaven and being empowered by the Spirit, then we're operating out of the authority we have in God's kingdom. 
And the only solutions that will ever really solve problems will come from the kingdom of God, which brings light and order and life. Read the Bible and look at the history of the nation of Israel. And last week, Charles Hewlett highlighted this from the book of Judges. Whenever Israel tried to do things their own way, the nation went downhill. Whenever they turned back to God and submitted to him, the nation started to improve again. The kingdom of God is the hope of the world, and the church is the army and ambassadors of God's kingdom, his representatives on this planet carrying his authority to bring light, order, and life. Friends, if you belong to Christ, then you are a citizen of his kingdom. And you have been given authority to rule. You carry answers to the problems around you, and you carry the authority to bring change. Uh, uh, something that I started doing uh, probably just just around the time that COVID shut down had at work is most mornings when I arrive at work, I would uh, I go through a process of where um, I'll go in, I'll put my computer down, turn it on, and while it's turning on and that sort of stuff, I just, just go through the process where I invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I, I like, for me, I like to, uh, in my imagination, I, I had this concept that in the throne room of God, that uh, because it's so so big, you know, there's a hundred million angels there, let alone all the people. It's fairly fairly vast. I have this image that God's throne sits up on this rocky uh, place, and the Bible describes that the river of God flows from the throne of God. So I imagine there's a waterfall going into a bit of a lake and then the river flowing down through the trees of life. It's just, that's my image. And so what I like to do is, is as I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to come, I just like to go stand under the waterfall that comes from the throne in my imagination because the water of life is a representation of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in my image, I'm, uh, you know, heaven is so much more real than here. So I sort of see myself as a bit more of like a hologram, so the water just runs straight through, and any of the muck and stuff, it just, I'll just allow God to flow that away and allow his presence to come and, uh, and, and just release the anointing for the day. Then I start to proclaim God and the authority that you've given me. I speak blessing over PSL. I, I uh, command orders and profitability and cash flow. I... I declare good health over my staff, um, these, these sorts of things. And since I started doing that, this year has been the best year that we've ever had as a company. Now, I think the devil has done a good job of selling many Christians a lie, that we aren't good enough and that we are powerless. But friends, we are image bearers of God, incredibly valuable, who carry the authority of heaven with them and so when submitted to Jesus and filled with his spirit, you know, nothing is impossible for them who believe. Friends, are you up for the fight? Should we stand? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know what God's been saying to you as I've been preaching this morning. I think that there are some here who maybe have have gone through a process of asking Jesus for forgiveness, but they haven't actually made him their Lord. And for some of you, God may have been uh, convicting you about that and that you need to see uh, that shift and change in your life. For some of you, there are circumstances going on around your life that 
you think this is the work of the devil. You know, there's chaos. There's destruction going on. There's, there's disasters happening. And you need to see things shift and change. You need to see life released. You need to see order being put in place. You need to see darkness overcome. But you've felt inadequate for the journey. You felt that you haven't stood up to what God expects of you. You know, you are valued. You are valued. And you carry authority being submitted to Jesus and filled with his Holy Spirit. Nothing is impossible to those who believe. God will always make a way. Let's worship.